There are roughly 1 million U.S. military children living around the world. And by the time they finish high school, they will attend nine different schools on average. With so much upheaval in their lives, I wonder what we can do to provide stability in their education. How can we help them acclimate to new surroundings, new friends, and new curriculum? How can we help them deal with the stresses of having a parent deployed in a combat zone? And what should our traditional public schools be doing to ensure these kids get the support they need to succeed? This is what I want to know. And today I'm joined by the USO's Jennifer Thompson to find out. Jennifer Thompson is the executive director of the USO's Northeast Region, where she leads operations, programs, and fundraising. She is also a military spouse and the mother of two children who are just entering school age. She is here today to help us understand what more we can do to support a student population that is too often overlooked in our conversations about reform. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm, I'm very honored to talk about such a near and dear topic. You have been an activist, if you will, in, uh, <laughs> in ensuring that spouses and family members, their needs are met. And I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about, in the beginning, how you came to be so engaged in this area. It's an important area, and, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. It's just the the changes and how many times our military families move and the disruption that it does cause to our, our military families and children from when you're little all the way up through teens. It's hard to kind of wrap your, your brain around. I think uh, civilians that do move quite often. It's just the volume that our military families have. Anything that, that I can do, that the USO can do, the organization I work for, to help with that and help make that transition as smooth as possible, or at least give some something for somebody to look forward to of some normalcy is what is what I like to do, is what the USO likes to do. So anything that we can provide to help a little bit. So you mentioned USO. What does USO stand for, just for people? Yeah, it's the United Service Organizations. And what do you do? I am the executive director over the New England area. So it's in our northeast region. So I'm in charge of our six states in kind of the New England area. So uh, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Connecticut. And it's any kind of military programming and support that we can provide in those six states is what I'm in charge of. Now, I know your kids are young, but in your role, you obviously work with families who have children who have to make that adjustment, go to a new school, try to find new friends. Talk about some of those challenges and how you, as part of the USO, try to help them overcome those challenges. It's hard when you get older because when you're, you're transferring credits for high school, maybe some states don't accept that credit. And then you're having to try to find different classes that can satisfy that, even with activities. So outside of the academics, with activities, depending on when you move, you might miss the cutoff date or the sign-up date in order to participate in sports and activities, extracurriculars, that, that you might otherwise been participating in, even with summer camps right in the heart of the summer, a lot of camps fill up and you're not sure where you're going to live. So on that form, you, you can't really say, well, I'm going to live in this county because you have no idea. So that's 
definite challenges that face our military community. And for us, we just try to provide any type of programming that can provide them an outlet. So whether it's, we had a program called Impact, and it really talks about, it focuses on the child and the teenagers, the children, and what kind of challenges that they're going through. What are they scared about? And having that um, facilitated conversation and dialogue between their parents or their caregiver and, and what it means to them, just so there's some awareness. And I think it's it's really eye-opening to do that. We actually did that at Hanscom uh, Middle School and had teachers doing that facilitation as well. So they could also learn what challenges the military students were going through because it's, it's eye-opening. I think one of the challenges in the New England area, there's a lot of guard. And so there's not a big installation where it's uniquely, oh yeah, there's military everywhere, like in DC. There's or military Norfolk, everywhere. Or Norfolk, Virginia or something exactly. like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. How do we bring that awareness to teachers and through programs like that, it's kind of keeping that top of mind. Or I know with in fourth grade, you learn all about your state's history. Well, that could be your state's history in one state, but then you move. It's a different state's history. So teachers talking about, oh, you learned this last year. Well, some students didn't learn that last year. No fault of their own, but there's always already that, like I missed out. Like I don't, I don't know. Kind of community events that we can bring the civilians and the military communities together for understanding the USO tries to do with any type of programs, whether it's an impact program or baby showers, coffee connections, bringing military spouses together. Um, so we really just try to look where there's some outlets for us to provide that missing gap, if you will, with the community. How about some of the psychological challenges when these kids have a hard time adjusting my understanding is that many of them do require some counseling or other services. I'm assuming you help with that. Um, so we do not have counseling services at the USO. Uh, we don't have any trained professionals on that. But what, what we do, do provide is kind of, again, those coffee connections and those outlets of support. You're not going through this alone. You're, you're not the only one out here. And so it's being that, again, that bridge where people don't feel like they're isolated and they're the only one having this problem. There, there's others out there that have that. And back to that impact program, it's kind of breaking down that wall of those fears and helping the, the kids open up a little bit to talk about their stresses and, and what's going on that maybe they, they don't want to talk about because their father or mother is deployed and they don't want to bring up what, what their issues are because there's, there's bigger things out there, like the absence of a father or mother because they're on a deployment. We have heard that as well. They just don't want to bring it up because it's extra stress on the mom or dad when they don't want to add to it. Yeah. And I've also heard of the situation of situations where, you know, when the child's in one state, they're performing like an A student and, you know, favorite child status. If you were in their school, they go to another state, another school, and all of a sudden they're a struggling student. How do you balance those kind of realities? I mean, it's tough because each state has different requirements. Counties could have different requirements and the learning levels are different too. And depending on what type of uh, hands-on experience you have with your teachers, I'm grateful for the, the school that, that we're in right now. They really have the, the specialist and the resources out there if you need some specialized training. But if you have if you have a need that was fulfilled maybe in one state and they, there's just not the resources at the school in another, then there is a gap. There is a hole that that the parents are going to have to try to figure out to fill. That adds into the stressors and it adds into the students feeling behind or maybe they're not good enough. It's definitely something that we've that we've seen as well that's hard to deal with. There is a different special kind of challenge when you're shipped overseas. Talk about some of what you've seen in those kind of settings. 
Sure. So uh, with overseas, it's, you know, the, the bases do a great job at integration with on-base education, which is wonderful, but it's still a new, crazy, strange, different environment. My husband was actually in Scotland. I got to visit when he was there, but it was interesting seeing his fellow aviators and what they were going through with just the challenges of the curriculum is different than what was in the United States. The metrics, the learning metrics are different. Not only are you adjusting to moving overseas, being away from family, but then also adjusting to a new way of learning as well. So it's a lot of people do opt for homeschool because it's just... uh, Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So it's, I wouldn't say easier, but it's sometimes better and beneficial for the student because at least you can kind of control, for lack of a better word, what what they're learning. And there's some continuity there. Do you see that the, for a while, my understanding was homeschooling was at a higher level, then it trailed off a little bit. You will, you do believe, as I understand it, that because of COVID, homeschooling's been on the uptick. It has. It has. Um, in my peer group with my friends, I have seen that, that it's, that it's uptick. And it, the, one of the reasons is, well, we're already doing it. We're already kind of home anyway. Some friends have said, well, I kind of always wanted to try it anyway because we move a lot. They they really are looking more into the homeschool options and programming. Again, so you can kind of tailor those courses to the needs of of your child. Um, And you know that, again, it's consistent and there's continuity to provide that education so they're not falling behind. In terms of these these students who are part of military families in their educational future, have you gained any insight as to their ability to move on to college, move on to other careers. How are they being received by college admissions and the like? I wonder about that. That's a great question. I would think as a college uh, admissions officer, looking at a military child, you know you're getting somebody who is resilient and Simper Gumby. They are flexible. They are flexible in changing and adapting to any situation. So we are seeing that that they are going on to, to college. There, there is post high school, as well as there's a fair amount that are, are going back to serve. Yeah. So they, yeah. I was going to ask you that as yep, well. Yep. They're growing up in the environment. They're seeing it. There's a lot of studies that are, that are coming out now, but there is a high percentage that they are going to serve. So it's what can the school system provide organizations like the USO that I work for to help give them at least some continuity, consistency to help shape them through to be, you know, the leaders of tomorrow is what, what we were trying to, to help with. So let's, let's, let's talk about a few solutions uh, to some of the challenges we know that face young people and military families in, in their educational experience. You alluded to it earlier, but I know this is a huge issue, and that is getting the educational record of students on time, making sure they get full credit. What are some of the things that you would like to see done to make that process easier? And I'm thinking about some of these kids who have taken courses, gotten credit, go to another state. They don't get reciprocity. They don't get credit. What could we be doing differently to ease that transition? You know, there's school liaison officers, and it's a, it's a tough job to really reach out to all of the military families coming and going at their installations or in their community. So I think it's, I have one friend and she doesn't even know who her school liaison officer is to ask questions not a fault of their own it's just there's the volume is just so large so i think it's spreading spreading that out giving more support i think there's also a limited knowledge base so when you're when you're at an installation and you're living on base and everything is through the installation it's sometimes hard to forget that you also need to transfer your records to the next school and so there's on our part too some education of 
here's the checklist. Just because you move to another installation doesn't mean that your school records automatically come with you. And I think as well as we, when we moved to Connecticut, we got embedded right away that we are a military family. What can we do to help with awareness? So we took the onus on ourselves that we're here. Let's have some awareness and education about it. Some people didn't even know there was a reserve center uh, right in their backyard. I think it's a lot on the military families as well to kind of get it out there. But as far as the school system, it's it's really seeing who self-identifies as a military family and then educating teachers, educating whom is supporting their child. If, if my husband's deploying, I'm going to let the school know. And then hopefully the school can let the teachers know. So if if they're having a hard day, well, there, there could be a reason because Johnny hasn't seen dad for six months. He's not going to see him for another four. It's a two-way street on that one. And what about the challenges when a uh, spouse or family has to deal with uh, injury or, you know, God forbid, death? How does that sort of impact that whole world that you're in, uh, particularly during that time of need? So if, uh, if, a, if a spouse is deployed uh, and there's, there's that going on, it's, it depends on how new you've moved to a place. For me, when we moved here, our realtor was our emergency contact. Depending on where you're going, sometimes that support and help comes from the neighbor that looked like they had an honest face and you could help, you, you could trust them. So it's kind of hard to, um, to find that support. Also, back to Simper Gumby, military spouses, we're flexible and we'll do it, but sometimes we won't ask for help and we, we've done it. We can do it on our own. So there's sometimes that I'm not going to ask for help. I don't want to bother anybody else. And so it is hard if there's an injury or, you know, a death to really reach out because you don't want to bother somebody else. And again, depending on your community, it could be your neighbor that you don't even know, but they're your emergency contact. So you're not necessarily going to go to them for the support of the death of a loved one or, or a big injury like that. So it's hard. So Again, this has been interesting because we have a growing number of military family students. The numbers are close to a million kids in our schools who come from military families. And for those administrators and teachers out there in, in our traditional school system, because 90% of those kids, as I understand it, go to traditional schools. And this is what I really want to know. What should teachers, administrators, school staff be doing differently that would help meet the needs of our military family students? I think it goes back to that education. Um, even if you've got very populous area with military down to just a few uh, military students in, in the population, I think it's it's training and education on, on what it really means, having local military leaders come in and just talk about it, have a military family come in and talk about you know, their experience and, and what they might be going through. It's April's month of the military child. So celebrate Purple Up Day. Everybody wears a purple shirt. Um, our school actually did that, uh, which was awesome. It was one of the first times they did that. So I think it's more awareness. So it's less foreign because um, I totally get where it's hard to fully understand if you're not in that the military community or know somebody in the military to really fully understand, but I think it's, again, just training and some education, even at a high level of what to expect and, and maybe what resources to support and, and maybe know that that military spouse isn't always going to reach out and ask for help. So sometimes the teacher could offer any, any help to the, that family. Yeah. As you said, knowledge is power and, and so is communication. Jennifer Thompson, thank you for joining us on what yeah. I want to know. Yeah. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate your time. Thanks for joining what I want to know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to write a review too. Explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK on social media. For more information on Stride, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.